0: of what it means to be one of the sector's critically important yet least understood roles while giving honest answers to our profession's most difficult questions thank you for joining us in this episode of the fundraising talent podcast here's your host author fundraiser and master trainer jason lewis
1: hi podcast listeners my name is jason lewis and i am your host for the fundraising talent podcast before i introduce today's guest i do want to thank our sponsor QBAC. There's a big difference between a solution that measures a fundraiser's performance and a solution that helps a fundraiser perform. QBAC helps fundraisers to excel at their most critical task, developing deep, meaningful relationships with donors and cultivating them into lifelong givers. Give your fundraisers a better qualified portfolio, one that considers more than just capacity and simple scoring. Your fundraisers will also get insights into the hearts, minds, and connections of their donors. Fundraisers have a tough job. Help them close Bigger gifts in less time by going to www.qback.com to schedule a free demo. Podcast listeners, the responsive fundraising roadshow is finally back on the schedule. We have several dates confirmed. Since 2014, our team has been providing high quality one day roadshows in partnership with nonprofit leaders who want to showcase their space and provide thought provoking and highly interactive fundraising training in their nonprofit community. Our roadshows have been described by our guest as hands down the best professional development experience that they have ever been a part of. This experience has been described as challenging assumptions with conversation-inspiring content and new ways of thinking. If you would like to register for one of the upcoming stops on the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow, just visit the link in the show notes. Hi, Lori. I am delighted to have you today on the Fundraising Talent Podcast. You and I have just had the pleasure of getting to know each other for a few minutes um, we're going to have a conversation. We're going to get to know each other. I, you and I have never been in the room together. I know you're from Cleveland, Ohio, and that's, that's right. about all I know. And I know you, <laughs> you've written a great book that we're going to hear a little bit about. I'm sure a lot of my listeners will be interested in hearing about that. Uh, but before we dive into our conversation today... Lori, how about we just ask you to introduce yourself to our listeners?
2: Yeah, I'd be glad to. So my name is Lori Kraska. I'm the founder and chief principal of Growth Owl LLC. And we've been around since 2018. And our sole purpose is to help associations, nonprofits, startups position themselves with large corporations like Fortune 1000s to help them get the resources and the funding sponsorship dollars that they need to be successful And before I started Growth Owl, I spent about 10 years in public broadcasting, which I thoroughly enjoyed. When I'm not in the corporate sponsorship space, I'm a big fan of dog rescue. I actually help our local dog rescue here in Ohio, the Ohio Basset Hound Rescue and the Buckeye Basset Hound Rescue um, to help place hounds. I have two hounds here in, in Cleveland with me as well. And uh, also love to listen to podcasts, love to enjoy the outdoors, take walks when the weather is suitable here in the Great Lakes, and really enjoying the, per- the intent of our uh, conversation today. Looking forward yeah. to it.
1: So, Lori, I got to ask you, are you a... Uh, so, my folks, um, my parents lived over in Medina for about <laughs> 10 years.
2: Oh, my gosh.
1: And, oh, boy. Uh, this is when my this is when my... Ch- so, my children are all teenage- older teenagers Okay. Now. But they were uh, mom and dad did about 10 years in uh, uh, the back end of my dad's career. They did about 10 years in Medina and um, dad worked in Cleveland. And uh, we became really big fans of um, Cincinnati Chili, which is sort of a statewide sort of favorite. So I've got to ask you, are you a fan of uh, Cincinnati Chili and which which um, it's Skyline versus uh, what's the other? It's the other uh, Cincinnati Chili company. It's Skyline and somebody else, isn't it?
2: So I gotta say I only know Skyline.
1: Okay. And, and there's there's uh, another one. Yeah. There is another so one.
2: So I do like Skyline a lot. I have to laugh because I live in Medina County.
1: Oh, do you? Okay. Yes. Great. I'm yeah. right on the
2: border of Medina and Cuyahoga County. Cuyahoga is where Cleveland proper is, but I'm yeah. right on the border. So I do live in Medina County. Yeah. Yeah. So they <laughs>
1: lived uh they lived in a small little house right outside of, you know, you've got that square there right there yes. in the center of town. Yeah. And there's yeah. a there's a there's an off there's a little, there's a road that sort of goes over towards the high school. And uh, it goes right by the cemetery, and there's a big, beautiful, brand new high school that's been built in about the last 10, 10 15 years. Mm-hmm. and they literally lived right across the street. Oh from wow. It. And, uh, but this was they, they moved into the, you know Medina in this beautiful high school, for example, uh, uh, after, after my sister and I, long after we had graduated high okay. school. And so we didn't get the benefit of a, a high school of high school experience. quite like that Medina high School that you've got there in Medina County. But, um, but yeah, my, you know, we haven't been back there in a number of years because the um, obviously because mom and dad relocated, but yeah. Uh, that, well, what a small
2: world, huh, Jason?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so Lori, we, uh, we invite our guests to come on here with a big idea or bold yeah. opinion. We yeah. really allow the conversation to just emerge from there. Um, what do you got for us today?
2: So I am a big believer in what I call the power of brevity. And my bold opinion is when you are engaging corporate sponsors or corporate funding professionals, chief executive officers for money, keep it brief in your communications, especially those initial conversations, and your success for getting funding will definitely increase.
1: Oh, I like that. I don't think in 350 plus episodes, I don't think we've had a conversation about brevity. Yeah, it's very interesting. And does this come up? Now, we're also going to talk about your book. The book yeah. is called The Boardroom Playbook, The Not-So-Ordinary Guide to Corporate Funding for your-, for your Purpose-Driven Organization. Is brevity in there?
2: There's a whole chapter on the a power of brevity. Okay. Yes. Okay. And I talk about it a lot and it really makes a difference.
1: Yeah. So, okay. So let's start at like the, because I could go in all sorts of directions with uh, with this issue of brevity, but um, uh, board reports are, do we, do we apply the brevity notion of brevity to board reports?
2: Well, my focus is really on engaging corporate decision makers who have the money for you. So I really can just really speak to that. Um, But as someone who's been on a board, I love brevity. I like (laughs) bullet points, you know, so But really my expertise is engaging someone who oversees the philanthropic dollars, who oversees corporate social responsibility dollars, marketing dollars, that might be uh, something that's an option for your organization. And my philosophy on it is this. We live in a society of 15-second pre-roll ads, of half a second notifications on our phones. Our smartphones have trained us to want brief communication, but impactful. Yet we as nonprofits or associations, other purpose-driven organizations, sometimes we go against what we've been trained in terms of our habits with communication in today's world, and we're saying way too much before a meeting even happens. So I try to remind people, your goal of when you first reach out to a foundation or corporate philanthropy, what have you, your goal is to get interest for a next conversation, Your goal is not to close business or to get the money. So you don't have to give everything at once. So I'd like to say, you know, your goal when you're sending that first email out, keep it 150 words, who are you? What is it exactly that connects what you're doing as a nonprofit to what that corporation is supporting and what do you want next?
1: That's it. Yeah, I like that because I tell tell development officers... So when we're coaching a client and we're saying to a development officer who's raising money, you know, we're always telling them you need to be doing, you know, donor facing meetings. Yeah. You need to be interacting with, you know, the best place to solicit a gift is, is in person, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. But we're also saying to them, don't ask on the first date. So we're saying, yeah. you know, yeah. your goal to get into that meeting is to largely establish rapport, familiarity, trust and rapport, and and you want to be invited back. I mean, that's almost yeah. like my script: trust, familiarity, and rapport, and the opportunity right. to be invited back. And what you're saying is, is that brevity is going to be one of those. It's kind of like what you and I are doing right here today. We've kind of got to decide in this brief conversation. We've got to decide, basically, do we like each other? I mean, is that what you're basically getting at?
2: Yeah, but also you have to realize what corporate decision makers who basically fund who you know are in charge of this money. They have thousands of other things going on while getting the money for your organization is priority number one for you. Yeah. Talking to you is priority number 5,750, if that, right? (laughs) So the best way, and I talk to these people all the time and and they'll say to me, you know, when I get an email from a nonprofit and it's, you know, it's just telling me everything. I don't even read it. I don't have time to read it. You've got to get to me right away because yeah. they are literally going through thousands of pieces of communication in some way every day. So you have to make yourself noticeable quickly. Almost like, you know, think about the Shark Tank concept. If you watch yeah. Shark Tank, you've yeah. got a few minutes to make a great impression. Same thing when you're dealing with your initial communication with a corporate uh, decision maker.
1: Yeah, I, I think that, I think this applies though. I, I really do think this applies pretty much across the board though. I mean, is it fair to say, because, uh, you know, I, I, one of the things that we talk about, again, I'm sort of reflecting on my own coaching experiences with development officers, that, that, that executive who you're talking about at the, in the corporate sort of setting, if you're meeting them in their home on Saturday afternoon for a meeting, has it sort of evolved and, or necessarily flipped the switch on sort of their ways of being in the world? They're they're pro- they're pretty much. Don't the sort of the same rules apply?
2: Well, if you're talking about meeting in the home, that sounds like you're talking about an individual or major gift. Yeah, I, I am. I am. Okay. Yeah, okay. I am.
1: And one of the things we talk about in the in the firm is that, uh, the, you know. Oftentimes, the development officer doesn't necessarily. I'm I'm usually encouraging the development officer not to assume where the money's going to come from. Yes, So I agree with that. Um, sure. When you're talking about a first-time gift, whether it's going to come from a corporation, whether it's going to be a personal gift, mm-hmm. shoot, whether it's going to come from a uh, you know the owner of a company, but through his or her personal checking account or or a private fund, you know, a foundation or something, you just you just don't necessarily know in some cases.
2: Yeah, that's correct. I mean. It- you know, I, I I will be honest and defer to my, my friends and colleagues that do a lot more in the major individual giving space than I do. But I would say that as human beings, there are certain ways that we like to respond and, and we like to get communication. I, I think that I can speak more freely to corporate because maybe unlike an individual situation where it's more individual ask. I'm thinking about the person that's receiving your initial communication in a regular business day that's bombarded with a lot of other things going on at the same time. I would think that one maybe difference or nuance, and again, I defer to my my major gift colleagues, the nuance would be that if you're sitting in somebody's home, you might have more attention from them. Yeah. Where if you're trying to engage a corporate decision maker for philanthropic or CSR dollars, you might not have as much of attention initially.
1: Yeah. You talk about your book is uh, you want you want them to address their fears and anxieties of asking for money. Is -hmm. there a is there a um, is there sort of an unraveling of our fear of money that we have to do ahead of time before we get into this sort of stuff?
2: Well, in my book, I like to call them periwinkle zombies. (laughs) These are the zombies in your head that, you know, at first you get very excited and then all these kind of misgivings start to happen. Well, maybe I shouldn't ask for that much or, you know, maybe there's a lot of other nonprofits that are more deserving than us. So all these zombies kind of take over your head. And, you know, my, my book talks a lot about how you can kind of deal with that, but, you know, in regards to your question, you can't get away from the part of nonprofit work that you're going to have to make an ask. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting, the number of nonprofit professionals that willingly will say, I hate that part. I right. hate asking for money, yeah. but it's a part of what we do. So that's something that you have to get over. Number one, it's it's not always easy for everybody. Everybody's different. I work with all different types of levels of people. So you have to you know, be sensitive and, and work with people individually. But it's really essentially a big part of what we do. And you have to understand you are just deserving as a $25,000 one-person nonprofit as somebody is, is deserving as a multi-million dollar nonprofit. And I want to emphasize all of my principles relate whether you're a one-person nonprofit or you're a multi-million dollar nonprofit, how people like to be engaged is the same, no matter how big or small you are.
1: The, um, I, I want to go back to, I want to go back to your comment a few moments ago about the idea that these people got, you know, 10 or 12,000 decisions that they're making yeah. at an in game time, you know, um, I have always, I have always been of the opinion that, that in the, in these initial meetings, cause that's essentially what we're talking about. You're talking about brevity and we're talking about that initial meeting. That that basically asking the uh, the contributor, whoever the contributor is, be they a corporate donor, or be they a major donor, or whoever whoever they happen to be in between, um, is to not require. Maybe this is part of your part of the advice that you're sort of going to get us to is to not necessitate a lot of decision making on their part um, that we don't want to put. Because if they are coming, if if they've never met you before, they have to decide if they trust you, if they like, if essentially they like you, you know, they want to invite you back. Putting a sort of a a, a horde of decisions in front of them is perhaps not a very good idea. What do you think about that?
2: So, this concept of brevity starts with the first email before they even know you. That is the most essential place to be brief.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So, that's kind of where I like to emphasize. Because as you start to meet people and you get through the process, you bring you bring to the table more information that's relevant for them to know. But I'm talking about initial engagement because I get a lot of questions and do a lot of coaching around okay, who do I go to and what do I say? Yeah. So that's why I spend a lot of time in the space of when you're first approaching someone you've never spoken to before, whether it's via email, LinkedIn or you're going to leave or you're going to make a phone call. Just you really need to stick to those brief points of who you are, why does your Why does your organization connect with what the corporation is already doing or represents in their pillars and values? And what do you want next? And the want next is, I'd like a phone call with you. I'd like a follow-up chance to send you information. You know, just be specific. And your chances of getting a response really increase. Now, when you get that meeting, it's a different story. You come more prepared. You do research. You're going to have more of a conversation about who you are. But initially, when you're reaching out, you just need enough to show a connection to get them interested to want to continue the conversation.
1: Okay. you got some language in here. I'm looking, I'm, I'm sort of thumbing my way through your book here. Yeah. Fe- feel the fear face the snake. Who is the <laughs> snake? <laughs> uh,
2: so I should give a little context. I, <laughs> right. I, I, I get to do a lot. I get to meet a lot of neat people in my work. And I got to do uh, a few sessions with a herpetologist who Uh is somebody that studies reptiles. And uh, he actually worked on behalf of a zoological uh, society that was looking to do some fundraising around snakes. So, you know, how do you break down the idea of snakes? You know, And, and again, I get into this more into my book, but the reason I use this analogy is. When most people think of snakes, it's one of the big fears. You know, you've got fear of public speaking and then there's, yeah. there's snakes. There's such misconceptions about snakes. It's, I, it was quite a learning experience for me. And what I learned about snakes that I apply to what you're asking is snakes actually, their whole life is about avoiding drama. The last thing that they want to do is attack you because it takes them so much energy, the force of their impact to come and get you they're going to have to rest for three days, which means they don't get to go and hunt for three days to find food for themselves. It's just fascinating. And I thought to myself, wouldn't it be great if we could actually think like the snake and not be so dramatic in our heads about what's going to happen all the time, right? So the whole idea of feel the fear and face the snake is, if you've got a big meeting coming up, or really anything in your life. Maybe you want to start a business or maybe you want to make a big change in your life and you're just scared to do it. That's your body telling you, you have to make the jump. You have to jump over that snake. You have to get over the fear because once you do and you, and you put in the activity to go towards what it is that you want, things just start to happen for you. And I just think you can learn a lot from the snake in avoiding that drama in your head, because the last thing the snake wants to do is attack you. So don't be scared.
1: (laughs) I I, That's brilliant. I've never, I've never heard that, but you're it's amazing, right? You're exactly right. And I think that's what we do again, regardless of sort of whatever the setting is. Yeah. Fundraisers oftentimes sort of go into these meetings. This is one of the, one of the reasons I'm not a big fan of, um, some of the well-screening platforms that we have where we sort of put all this data in front of these fundraisers and we sort of overwhelm them with the possibility that these meetings could, could go in either direction. And I'm like, you know what? I really, I kind of really want my fundraisers to go in a little more curious, a little less enlightened. So they're asking questions and not overwhelmed with this sort of this just horde of information that just honestly scares the shit out of them. Right. And, And so, um, but you're exactly right. You want to get rid of some of that drama that's going on in your head before yes. you walk in the door, don't you?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of techniques to do it. I mean, you can, you, know, you can journal, take some deep breaths. I tell people, make sure you always have bottled water with you when you're doing a presentation. Take some water <laughs> breaks, get some hydration. There's, there's some great research about if you're in a meeting and you kind of think you're missing your place, you're not sure where to go next, take some water the actual hydration activates your mind to get you back to where you need to be. So it it really is fascinating. Once we can kind of jump over that snake, kind of face our fears and and just see that they're just, you know, it's, it's not that it's not rational. It's just that you're, you're making up scenarios that might not even exist before you even walk into the situation. So Give okay. yourself a break.
1: Yeah, give yourself a break. <laughs> so corporate death perception corporate death depth perception. What are we yeah. talking about there?
2: Yeah, so that gets back to what I spoke earlier. Remember when I said these people in corporate decision making roles that manage the money, the access, they literally have thousands of things going on. Taking the time to understand the role of what your decision maker does on a day-to-day business, as well as what how a corporation functions understanding that gives you corporate depth perception. It allows you to have more stamina for this process because I know how frustrating this could initially be, especially if you're a smaller nonprofit and you've never tried to engage corporations before. It doesn't always work on the first try. Honestly, it mostly doesn't work on the first try. I mean, there are a few times I've had some great successes, but you need stamina in this. So to have stamina, you've got to you've got to understand who you're working with, and having that corporate depth perception, understanding working in a corporate realm is a little bit different than anything else.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love this phrase, avoiding pumpkin spice proposals. I have to imagine, (laughs) I have to imagine that that's, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Rather than me trying to overinterpret that, tell me what you're talking about there.
2: First, I have to tell everybody who loves pumpkin spice latte, I love it too. There's nothing wrong with pumpkin spice in your coffee, but I really question it in your proposals. Here's the thing. When I talk to decision makers who look at proposals from nonprofits, I get a lot of feedback about there's way too much in here going back to brevity. Yeah. But it's yeah. not just content. It's 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 logo over usage of a logo. It's over usage of clip art or photos, or copying, pasting. You know the mission over and over again, or the one I hear a lot about. You know, Lori, tell your clients you don't have to tell them, or they they don't have to write what we do. We know what we do. Right. We right, want to know right. how what how you think you connect to us. You don't have to tell us what, how you know we've been around since 1902 doing all this great work. We know that. So all of those little pieces that are in a a proposal, I call that pumpkin spice when all you really need is the coffee. You just need the proposal, right? And, and brevity is also, you know, big in the proposal as well. And I tell my clients, you know, and again, I understand if you're in a grant situation and you have an application, that's a totally different world. What I'm talking about is if you've been asked to put a proposal together, you have no guidelines around it and it's going to a corporate decision maker. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, my best practice, no more than five pages. And again, keep it to almost the philosophy that I use for emails. Who are you? How do you connect? How do we connect the corporation and the organization? What are the details? What, what is my corporation getting out of this from a philanthropic corporate social responsibility perspective? And what's the investment? That's it. And what's your, and then, oh, and also end with a message of gratitude. There's tons of proposals out there that just thank you. Thank you so much. But really put together a truly meaningful message of gratitude. Something like, we realize that there are hundreds of nonprofits that are asking you for your assistance. And we truly appreciate the time and consideration you've put into reviewing our proposal today. That sounds a lot more heartfelt than thank you. So those okay. are those are my so, tips.
1: So if I'm starting to uh, once these conversations get warmed up, I start to really make sense of what the author is starting to. I'm, yeah, I, I, I'm starting to make sense of. Well, I think what I'm hearing, Laurie, and co- certainly correct me if I'm wrong, but what I'm hearing is is that the communication style, sort of the the indirect communication, the conversation that happens before you have the meeting, you're saying. Let it do some work for you, right? Let the process sort of do some of the work for you. And 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 I'm reflecting on some of my consulting experiences. And I'm also thinking about the way that some people approach these ridiculously, you know, long, non, you know, to the opposite of your notion of using brevity, you know, they want to <laughs> sort of pour out all yeah. this information in order to make this remarkable case right. for support but at the end of the day if the if the if the appeal however you're uh you know asking for the meeting appealing for their initial support whatever if 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 in some ways it ultimately creates it occurs to me that if ultimately it creates a sense of obligation on their part to meet with you but it ultimately doesn't yield support which means yes. they're almost sort of doing um just doing courtesy meetings because hey, this person mm-hmm. went through all this work. I, I can hear that. I, I think I've yes. experienced that a numerous yes. times. They've Excellent done all. Point. They've done all this work. Well, doing that meeting with a donor who ultimately isn't gonna isn't gonna support you is a waste of time. Am I right? Yes. yes. Yeah. yeah right. I, I
2: don't know what else to say because you, you, you laid that out beautifully. Yeah, well you wrote the book. So, I I <laughs> so
1: So so no. take so take us down. So articulate that in your great. I'm glad I'm glad I sort of am reading between the lines, but put that in your words. I, I want uh I want somebody else to hear that.
2: So look, I, I think I can relate this is how I would bridge to what you said. Yeah. When it comes to a tie on all ends. And you've got, and and there's competition in the nonprofit world. Some people don't like to talk about competition in nonprofits, but let's be honest, you're competing for dollars, especially at the, at the corporate level when there's competition and you've put all this work into a 25 page proposal and you feel good about it because there's all this stuff in there. All right. But somebody else has a proposal in there. That's five pages. It's brief. It makes the connection when there's a tie at all ends and everybody is worthy for this money, the decision maker is going to go back to two things. How clearly did you communicate connection? And number two, how did you make me feel when I got this?
1: Yes, right.
2: So me, when I get communication that's 20 pages, I get frustrated. Right. I don't know about you, but if you get a really long email, I'm immediately in not a great zone, all right? But if I get something that's to the point it makes me feel good and that's how decision makers are so tie it all ends how did you communicate it and how did you make them feel if if you pass that test you've just you know you've you've taken your proposal put it to the top of the 35 other nonprofits asking for money
1: yeah yeah i i really like that because i think i think there's a i think there's a communication that we're oftentimes doing that sort of conveys, hey, we know what, um, we we, we sort of know, we understand, we know, and and maybe this is part of your notion of sort of corporate depth, depth perception, sort of having an aware, we have to demonstrate in this brief period of time, an awareness of what this process is like, from their side of the table on their side of the table. Um, Yes. But is there also, Is there also part of the conversation, a long-term orientation? Because I remember, I'm just going to, so I I was meeting with a corporate funder a number of years ago, and I remember sort of throwing off his reaction. I I don't think he expected me to go in this, but I, I was soliciting a significant gift, but I also knew that that significant gift was highly unlikely to happen in the 12 months. That, okay. That, that their commitments were already made. These were tax credit dollars. Yeah. You know, a lot of these decisions are made, and and I said I'm talking about a gift. You know, out into the future, and and I wonder if if that's part of your you know your counsel as well that sometimes we're just trying to rush these processes too much. Like we're trying to leave with a check. I, I often say to fundraisers, I say, if you leave with a check <laughs> on the first visit, um, it's probably half as much as you could leave any, you know, you're, 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 you're ba- they're giving you a, 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 what I call a go away gift, right? We, we've probably heard yeah. that before. A- and yeah. and especially when it comes to corporate giving, um, you don't necessarily want those decisions to be made too quickly. Am I right?
2: That is an excellent point, Jason. You're you're absolutely right. <laughs> Be- because here's the thing. And again, this is why it's it, it's so unusual. If you take this technique, they're going to find it very refreshing. If you get to the meeting and you start talking about possibilities and you start saying, you know, I realize this is the first time, you know, we're talking to each other. Our organizations haven't worked together. Let's just talk about the next three to six months. Or let's just talk about a pilot, like a, a pilot program or a pilot sponsorship, and then we can meet afterwards and, and see how that went. You don't know how refreshing that will sound to a corporation because so many people, I mean, there are proposals that go in and, or nonprofits that go in, they've never solicited the corporation before, and they're asking for two years' worth of gen ops money. It's going to be yeah. a big no. They don't know you. Right. So. Right. You have think about your own buying habits. You know, if if you want to work with somebody or or you're trying to engage with someone that's going to be long term, you might say, "Let's try this out with this specific program or in this specific area. Let's come back to the table and see how it went, and then let's talk more long term." And that's typical corporate speak as well. They want to see results per se. They want to see how you were able to take their mission, vision, and values from a philanthropic standpoint, apply it to helping your, your stakeholders, your members, what have you, within your nonprofit, and, and see how you could build off of that. So you're absolutely right, Jason. That's an excellent point.
1: Okay. I've seen a lot of fundraising books in my career. I've been around, yeah. you know, I've been around a long time. And I got to say, there's one thing that I'm sort of noticing about your book, for the yeah. listeners, for the for my listeners, uh, just as a reminder, Lori's book's called the the Boardroom Playbook. But there's one thing that I think is particularly lu- unique and um, certainly sets your book apart. And I, I was re- just recently doing a book proposal review on this point and trying to sort of say to the 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 folks who asked me to do this, they said, you know, what sets this book apart? And I said, in this space, there's not a lot. <laughs> there's not a lot in the fundraising space. But you're choosing, and I want you to explain to me why, I, I want to hear why this is. You're choosing to address boardroom dynamics, which we haven't talked a whole lot about thus far. Because a lot of we've been talking about f- fundraising tactics and corporate giving. And I don't think I've actually, I don't think I've seen a fundraising book that necessarily does that. That aligns board, boardroom tactics, you know, making sense of what's going on around the board, board table. Mm-hmm. and corporate funding. I mean usually there those are somewhat disparate sort of conversations. Usually the the corporate giving is a is a tactical book that's about uh you know that's the corporate giving the corporate relations officer type role um what's going on there. I appreciate that.
2: Yeah, so boardroom is kind of my I don't want to call it generic. It's an all-inclusive term for all things corporate.
1: Yeah, okay. When you
2: when you visualize a corporation and there have been studies done on this, a lot of people will talk about a boardroom. So it's one of the reasons why I chose it. And quite frankly, I just thought it sounded good, the boardroom playbook. So the boardroom,
1: okay, so correct me. Okay. So the boardroom reference isn't the board at the nonprofit, you're referencing the board at the corporation.
2: That's correct. Yeah.
1: Okay. Okay. That's my, an important clarification. Okay. I like sets that. That's okay. my
2: book apart, I think, and I think you're alluding to this, is I'm going from the perspective of the corporation.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm not
2: taking the perspective of the nonprofit because there's you already know the perspective of the nonprofit. You're in it. You need to take time to understand the dynamics of how a corporation works and how the, di- the dynamics of you know, corporate giving, corporate social responsibility, corporate marketing, they all have different d- budgets that you could be taking advantage of. But you don't know that until you do the research. You don't know that until you understand the X's and O's. That's where the playbook comes in. You've got to understand that working with the corporate philanthropic officer can be different than working with someone in corporate social responsibility. It's up to you to learn that. So that's kind of where I come from in the book.
1: How many development, how many fundraisers do you think process the idea that there's a board behind? Because, you know, when we think about corporations, when we think about large foundations, you know, there's a board, I I talk about this with my students over at the college and and this is sort of, I don't think we've necessarily had this question. I don't think we've wrestled with this question, but when oftentimes when we're meeting with a, with a, we're essentially meeting with a representative in some ways, even if they're a key decision maker, Mm -hmm. when you're doing corporate fundraising, you're meeting with somebody who is essentially an agent. Of perhaps a very large group of people, am I right?
2: Well, that varies. That's not always necessarily so. So okay. let me let me explain you three quick scenarios. Yeah. Okay. Scenario one, number one, if you go to a senior vice president of corporate social, corporate social responsibility, many times they have their own money that they have. They they don't represent anyone except the company. The company has entrusted them. Here's a few million dollars, really give back to some community impact, Yeah, right? right? So you're dealing with one decision maker. If a corporation has a corporate philanthropy, so, you know, a corporate foundation, that's where you tend to have multiple decision makers. But my, the way I do things, I only go to an SVP or higher. That's just how I engage, even if that takes longer, which it, it normally does. So although there's multiple people involved... If I'm going right to the decision maker or the right hand of the decision maker, the amount of time that I have to wait to, for the process is usually decreased. Um, and then the third pot of money is what most part people would know would be corporate marketing. Now, that could have a few different variances because there might be an outside agency involved. I do know large corporations that use their advertising agencies to vet philanthropic opportunities. So in that respect, yeah, you're dealing with a lot of people. Um, then there's corporate marketing that's direct. You've got a senior vice president of marketing um but the way marketing has changed, they don't always make the decisions anymore. so you could see three different types of dynamics going on depending who you're who you're speaking with,
1: okay, so maybe I'm using old school sort of frameworks here, but h- how do I discern then? because in some ways you're describing the um in some ways you're describing that in some scenarios, you're dealing with a gatekeeper. Um, and and in some cases you're not, you know, you're, you're you're dealing with a gatekeeper versus a decision maker.
2: That's fair to say.
1: Is, is there a, is there a. And and perhaps that's what you're trying to discern when you go into these meetings, because you may not necessarily know one or the other. You may not know whether or not you're navigating. Like in the case that I was referring to a few moments ago, I I was dealing with the president of the company. I, you know, it's a local yeah. corporation. I knew that I could, and I was I I knew who I was dealing with. But in some cases, you may not, even with extraordinary, even with, you know, an impressive title, they could still be in a gatekeeping sort of almost an administrative type role and perhaps some of this initial meeting is to just quite frankly just to discern that am I right
2: yeah but I will say with the online resource tools we have now yeah you should be able to figure this out yeah, I got to say, like LinkedIn profiles now, it's pretty amazing. It tells you um, all the business. They right. tell you a lot of stuff. People are pretty open now about, you know, I, I'm i interested personally in these types of philanthropic efforts. I oversee a budget of such and such. So if you do the research beforehand using tools like LinkedIn, which I'm a huge fan of,
1: yeah, yeah,
2: um, there's no reason you should go in not having some sort of a semblance of what this person is capable of doing in terms of decision making.
1: Okay, before we land this, we uh, we lose our listeners about forty minutes, and I don't want to. Um, there's a lot of rejection that comes in this sort, just like anything yeah. that we're doing, and so I have to imagine there's a place in your book where you're talking about. Um, the, the the possibility that you're just going to have to sort of keep at it. You're yes. going to get, you're, you know, I I tell development officers all the time, you're going to get, you know, eight no's for every two yeses. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I have to imagine that's in there. Am I right?
2: Oh yeah. You got to keep fishing. I talk a lot about that, but I want to talk about the no's because, and, and I'm not, I've I've never coined this phrase. I've heard it several times before, but I'm a true believer. No is your second best answer. I love no's. You know why? Because I don't have to mess around anymore. I don't have to think about, should I keep engaging them? Are they still a good prospect? No. A solid no gives me the freedom to move on. To move on, right. Yeah. I want people to really embrace the no. It's okay. That's great. Perfect. And that somebody gave you the confidence to say no, because there's also a lot of decision makers that are out there that don't like to say no, so they just won't say anything. So that you got to know, use it, move on to your to your to your next prospect.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting, but yeah, right, and that's sort of where we were right in the middle of the conversation. Um, that's an interesting sort of way to put the no. Um, mm-hmm. Are you sometimes, you know, there's there's the no, there's the no that sort of comes with further qualification and further engagement. And There's the no that says this just isn't going anywhere. Am I right?
2: Yeah. So, you know, you could say there's a no right now. Yes. So your timing, if it's a timing issue, great. I can go back at some point, but if it's like, you know what, this just doesn't resonate with us. Okay, great. Thanks for your time. Go somewhere else that resonates with you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, um, the, the name of the book, the boardroom playbook, not a not so ordinary guide to corporate funding for your purpose driven organization. Lori, who's the person? Before we wrap up, who's the person you wanted to read this book?
2: I want people to read this book if they're an executive director of a small nonprofit that's just trying to figure out how do they get funding from a corporation.
1: Yeah.
2: I want the president of a large multi-million-dollar nonprofit that's trying to, you know, they've been successful in other areas of fundraising but haven't been able to just get into corporate. Read it. And social entrepreneurs and startups, you know, people that are regularly trying to get funding just to get their businesses going, especially in, in the social landscape, sometimes they just need a little coaching in terms of, again, how much and what kinds of information to give to get access to the resources. So really anybody who's interested in getting resources or money from Fortune 1000 companies and other large organizations.
1: And my author guests always have uh, sometimes they do sometimes they have opinions about where people buy it. so I want to make sure I put oh. uh, I, <laughs> sometimes they point us towards Amazon, sometimes they point us towards the publisher and sometimes they point us to uh, to perhaps your website where if 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 I've listened to this conversation, I'm like I want to go pick up Lori's book, the boardroom playbook uh, where do you want people to go to find it?
2: Go to Amazon and just type in the boardroom playbook and you'll find it right away.
1: Yeah, so you're you're one of those. Uh, yeah, I'm perfectly fine with people p- finding my stuff on Amazon as well. Yep. Lori, it has certainly been a pleasure. Can you tell us, do you have a website or um, if somebody yeah. else is just interested in learning more about your consultancy, your other work, because I know you do some consulting in addition to, uh, you do something else in addition to writing. So um, tell us where to find you and then we'll wrap up.
2: Absolutely. You can find me online at thegrowthowl.com.
1: Oh, you know what? I didn't. Have, what's the who's the growth owl? Are you a, who's an owl?
2: My company name is Growth Owl LLC. What does that
1: mean? What the, uh, wisdom? Yeah. Wisdom. It's got to be a, a reference to wisdom. So there's a
2: few things. So I've always liked owls, and a few I think good uh, owls also represent you know what good advisors do for you. They can see things others can't. They can also you know maneuver in the dark, and there's a lot of darkness sometimes. And, uh, you know, owls can, they can't do a full turn, but, but they can spin their head, you know, <laughs> you know, I forgot the degrees, but they can really spin their head and, and and see things and experience things through their hearing and their vision that other animals can't. So I think that a good advisor that works with you is somebody that comes in and can see things happening that maybe you haven't seen before.
1: Oh, that's brilliant.
2: And owls have wisdom and strategic, so. (laughs) Yeah, that's very good. That's
1: a wonderful note to end on. Uh, Just as a reminder for my guest, Lori Zoss, uh, Kraska's book is The uh, Boardroom Playbook, A Not-So-Ordinary Guide to Corporate Funding for Your Purpose-Driven Organization. Lori, it has certainly been a wonderful conversation. We wrapped up on a great point about uh, on the owl. Um, You're always welcome back.
0: Thanks, Jason. Have you read the book that nonprofit leaders and fundraising professionals alike are calling a must read? In this pocket manifesto for today's fundraising professional, Jason deconstructs why many of us find ourselves working for organizations where we cannot accomplish our goals. These same organizations are notorious for rapid turnover and high donor attrition. To avoid this all too familiar path, Jason offers direction from those who want to be recognized and admired for their work. The War for Fundraising Talent challenges our ingrained beliefs and assumptions about how effective fundraising really works, and it questions the prevailing wisdom hiring decisions and donor behavior. Published by Gatekeepers Press, The War for Fundraising Talent is now available on Amazon and other major retailers.